Hi, this is Pastor Lane Jones speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, Ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. For a number of weeks now, I've been discussing the messages that Jesus Christ himself preached as found in the Bible. We come today to one of Jesus' most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan, as our Lord answers the question, Who is my neighbor? I pray that you will take the time to listen. To find the passage in your Bible, you'd want to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and we will start with verse 25. I'd also like to invite you to stay tuned immediately after today's message for a brief interview that I recently conducted with evangelist Mike Pelletier. Mike is preaching at our church starting today, October the 18th, through uh, October the 25th, next Sunday, and the services Monday through Friday are all at 7 p.m. We'd love to have you come if you're in the area and are able to join us. Why well, I'd like you to listen to this interview that I'm going to play for with Mike is that Mike experienced the horror of losing his father to suicide at only six years old. The Lord has brought him through this tragedy, and I'd like you to hear about it, especially those of you who have gone through a major heartbreak and wonder if you can ever move forward again. So I'd encourage you that God really does care about you, and I hope that you'll listen for Mike's story. Well, let's start with what I call a, uh, the proud man's questions. I'll, I'll, I'll read with me and see if you agree with me that this guy seems to be a little bit proud. Verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer, now when you think lawyer, think of a student of the Old Testament law. And Jewish lawyers, is, he's not studying you know, our laws, he's studying their laws, and their laws are the Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture, and then all of the commentaries and stuff that were written on them. All right, so he's supposed to be an expert in, 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 the, in the law, in the Old Testament law. So he's a certain lawyer, and he stood up and tempted him, or you, you may have in your Bible tested him, because that's really what's going on here, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a fairly good question, but I want you to think about, first of all, the motive behind this question. It is what I, it's a, it, how I refer to it is it's a test question. Okay. Now, reason why is because he says that he tempted him or he tested him. He was testing Jesus here. So um, when we think about that, what would be the motive behind that question if he's testing the Lord? That's very possible. He's tr- he, Okay. It's, it's possible he's trying to trip him up. Now, there's another possibility, and that is he... Go ahead, Hunter. Well, okay, he's, we're going to get there where you're, you're thinking he wants to show off what he knows, and that's going to come, okay? But, but Jamie. Yeah, see, okay, Jamie, as a, as a police officer, at times would be testing someone to see if he's telling the truth or not. So it could be he's trying to trip him up, like what Pat is saying, or it could be he's trying to figure out if he's good or bad. Okay, either way, he's testing the Lord. But if we know that motive, and, and Jesus is, is into his ministry somewhat, he's done a lot of things, okay? So his motive is certainly, it, what we do know is it's not, it's not so that he can get an answer to this question. He thinks he already knows the answer, Okay? So this would be like, again, if I'm testing your honesty, then I, I give you a question that I already know the answer to. You with me? So he's either trying to trip the Lord up or he's trying to um, see if the Lord knows as much as he does on the issue, but it, that, that just seems to me that he is being 
the motive is, 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 is pride and not getting, gaining information. Now, there's also an assumption behind that question. Notice again verse 25. The question is, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What's the assumption? I'm sorry? Well, he's asking what I need to do. He may think he has, he's on his way to heaven. He may think that. We're not really sure on that. Eternal life exists. He's assuming eternal life exists. Good. There's another assumption going on, Hunter. That Jesus has the authority to grant it. We're not, well, he's testing the Lord, so I'm not sure if he really thinks Christ has the authority to grant it. He certainly wants to hear what Jesus has to say about it. He's able to work for it. Ah, he's assuming that you can earn it. What do I have to do? That assumption that you can earn it. So I ask you a question. And this is a tough question. Don't be, uh, it's not as easy as you think. Can you earn eternal life? Can I say it's yes and no? If you could be perfect, you would earn eternal life. But no, you're not. <laughs> okay? Because I want you to notice how Jesus answers it. All right? That's why I say this. Verse 26, you find Christ uh, turning the question back to the questioner. Very interesting what he does here. He said to him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? What do you think? And again, if the guy was testing Jesus to find out if he's honest or not, or to find out if Jesus is, is really who he says he is, or even if he's trying to trip him up, you don't want to answer the question. You want him to, you want Jesus to answer the question. But Jesus simply threw it back to him. He says, well, what do you think? And the guy, which is another reason why I think he's, 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 he's proud here, not only because he's really not looking for the answer, he thinks he knows it, but number two, he's more than willing to tell Jesus what he knows. And so notice verse 27, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now, by the way, another guy gave him that answer, Jesus that answer in a different spot, and Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Because um, the guy went on and said, you know, that's worth more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this guy, Jesus doesn't say that to. And he's not really, again, he, he, he kind of showed off what he thought his, his answer was. But can I just point out that... Um, we have, there's a danger here that all of us can fall into, and that is simply this. We tend to think that knowing the answer to a spiritual question is basically the same thing as applying it. And there is a world of difference between the two. Like It's like everybody watching a ball game on TV, and your team is up, and there's, you know, the bases are loaded, and there's two outs, and you've know, you got a pretty good hitter at the plate, and it's a 3-2 pitch, and the pitcher throws it, and it was right down the middle, and the guy took it for strike three. And you sit there on your couch, and you say, how could you let that one go? Why didn't you swing? Anybody can see that was a strike. Now, there's a difference between knowing the guy should have swung, and if you were there. You with me? you got a split second to figure out what that guy's throwing, how fast it's coming, whether or not it's going to be in the strike zone. It's a different ball of wax when you're in the batter's box. One thing to know the right thing, it's a whole other thing to do it. You don't think he knew that down the middle of the plate's a strike? 
Yeah, it's just it's not as easy to apply things many times as to know the right way. How about if you get to the doctor and the doctor says, look, you got to change your diet. You know, you got diabetes or you got whatever. Okay, you walk out of there and you say, oh boy, I got to change my diet. I got to, you know, I got to stop eating sweets or I've got to do this or that. Now, you now know the right thing. Does that make you do it? Knowing the right thing and doing the right thing are completely different issues. They really are. And can I say this to you? If you walk out of the doctor's office and let's say he says, look, you've got to stop eating sugar or you're going to start, you're going to, you're going to have some serious medical problems because you've got diabetes. Okay, now you walk out and now you go down to the, to the ice cream parlor and you grab yourself a big ice cream cone and you start sucking down all the sugar that you want and you don't change your diet at all. What do you say about that? Yeah, you see, knowledge only makes me more responsible. Knowledge doesn't cure me. Knowledge gives me the opportunity, but I have to seize that opportunity. And so many people say, because I can quote chapter and verse, and I know this answer, I know that answer, there's a world of difference between knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. And knowing the right thing only makes you more responsible to do the right thing. So the Lord turned the question. He said, what do you think? And the guy, of course, gives the answer. And his answer was, was technically correct. And that is, if you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, if you did that, and if you loved your neighbor as yourself, you would go to heaven. Matter of fact, you know why, you know why I say that? It's because notice in verse 28 that the Lord agreed with it. Verse 28. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. All right, if you want to love the, your neighbor with all your, uh, like you love yourself, and if you want to love God with all your heart, yeah, if you could do that, yes, you would go to heaven. But now we come to a second question the guy has, and I call this the defensive question. Verse 29, but he, willing to justify himself. What do you think that means? He wanted to justify himself. In what way? Is he trying to justify himself? Yeah, what do you think, Jamie? I think partially he realized how he let himself <laughs> let Christ lead him into boasting for himself. So he kind of wanted to get back to. Yeah. Have you ever asked a question and it seemed like it was so obvious and easy, and a matter of fact, he answered it like you're saying himself, that you almost feel like, okay, you know, I just made a fool of myself. So I've got, I've got to make it tougher. That's a possibility. I've thought about that. That's how I've often read this passage, that he was kind of embarrassed by how simply and easily he asked, actually answered his own question. And so then he is trying to kind of get out of a little holy dug. That's a possibility. What's another possibility, Mike? Well, as a lawyer, he knew the law, and he, and he, and he told him exactly why, what he wanted to hear. Like you say, whether or not he was doing it, that's another. Yeah, that's the other opportunity. Now he's saying that Jesus, he's not too sure who his neighbor is. He himself doesn't know who, who he should be helping out. Okay. So he comes up with that question to see if Jesus would say, who's my, who am I supposed to really be helping out? Yes, yeah, see, that's, okay. Well, Mike, that's the, other, uh, that's the other possibility, and I think both may be going on, and that is simply this. I'm glad you brought that up. Because part of it may be this. Now, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, if this is what i got to do to get to heaven, then i got to know who my neighbor is. And he's trying 
to think of himself as being in the person that's going to heaven by doing good. Okay? So I need to know. I need to... And that's why I put, um, I put the bar up here. Now, the motive on this question, again, is not so much gaining information because Luke, under inspiration of God, gives us why he says this. It's to justify himself. So it's either to get out of embarrassment because I asked a question that was too easy, or it's I've got to justify myself as a good person. And I'll tell you this, there were rabbis that would say that your neighbor was only basically a Jewish person who you would agree with. And that's why I have, by the way, does anybody, I'm sorry, my artwork is not that good. Um, what is that supposed to be? It's not an H. It's a pie jump or a pole vault jump. That's right. Now, what I, I'm sorry if you don't like my artwork. I'm not very good. Ask the teenagers. That is God's standard, okay? I'm just using it to illustrate God's standard. What's this guy trying to do? He's trying to lower the bar. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to limit who do I have... Now, if he's asking, who is my neighbor, what is he also intrinsically really saying? Who is not my neighbor? Who's the person I don't have to worry about? If I've only got to worry about, so I want to know who I have to worry about so I don't have to help everybody else. So there's an assumption that some people are not my neighbor. And that is the background, folks, of the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's uh, go into the Lord's answer at this point. This is another um, uh, artist's rendition of the Good Samaritan uh, loading the, uh, the needy man on his, on his donkey. Now, first of all, we're going to break this down into Jesus' story, then Jesus' question, and then Jesus' command. Let's look at, look at Jesus' story, first of all. Verse 30 to 35. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his, of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So they took not only whatever money he had, but they took his clothes, too. Um, so the first thing we want to notice in this story is the misfortune of this unidentified person. He doesn't give a name to him. He doesn't give a nationality to him. He just says there's this person. By the way, Jerusalem to Jericho, there was a road, uh, I was reading about it yesterday in the um, ancient world, um, and I think the Romans might have uh, made this road better than it was, but uh, that it went through a pass, evidently, that was very dangerous where, where thieves did tend to rob. Now, this is a parable, but it's true to life. And, and there, were, there was a certain spot that was very dangerous, and there was also an inn, from what I understand, maybe even more than one, that was nearby this dangerous pass. So Jericho would have been quite a ways away about halfway between Jerusalem and Jericho, I believe the, 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 the road would have been about 18, uh, 15, 18 miles long. So um, uh, this would be something that these guys would, would um, understand. Now, if you look at verse 30, what had happened to this guy? Well, he was overwhelmed by thieves. Okay, He was embarrassedly, embarrassingly abused. He's left basically naked. That's why you often see him... Um, uh, without a lot of clothes on as they're loading him because it, that's what this, Jesus said. They basically stripped him of his clothes. Number three, he was wounded physically. 
And number four, he was left to die. He's left half dead. So we see the misfortune of the unidentified person. Then I want you to notice also the chance encounter with three people. Now, notice I have chance in, in, in uh, quotes because I want you to notice verse 31. Jesus says, and by chance there came down, a, uh, and then he goes on these different people. Now, can I say that Jesus is not saying, oh, this was luck. But that's how it appears many times to us. And I think it's an interesting way that he put it. Sometimes it seems to us that this was just, you know, a chance encounter with somebody. We really don't think about the reality of what Psalm 139 teaches us, and that is this. This is the beginning of the first three verses. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. He says, he's saying, you understand my thoughts before I think them. You know what I'm going to think before I think it. Then he says, you comprehend. And the King James is, is compass about. The idea is he understands completely my path and my lying down. He's acquainted with all my ways. There is not a chance that this was merely chance. But that's how it looks to us. And so Jesus says, well, by chance, these three people come down. But really, we all know, and this lawyer would have known, what the Scripture teaches, the fact that God is in everything. And so let's notice the three people that come down. The first guy is called, I call him the unconcerned priest. By the way, you'll see him in this painting. Can anybody see him where he's at? There's two men that are outside that painting. The, the guy right there is the unconcerned priest because he came first. You got another guy here, he represents the Levite who came second. Now, the unconcerned priest, let's notice his unconcern. Verse 32 and uh, verse 31, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Okay, so you can tell that he didn't care. So he didn't care about the man, who he was, he didn't even go over to look at him. And he obviously didn't care, care about whatever needs he had. He just basically ignored him. You know there's a proverb that says, and I'm going to have to give you my own version of it. I can't um, uh, just bring it up to mind, the exact wording. But the idea is simply this. If you ignore the cry of someone in need, God says, you'll cry yourself one day and no one's going to hear Who is the priest? He's a very, uh, he's a significant, matter of fact, probably as, as a class, the most significant class of religious leaders in the nation. If you went, wanted, let's say you sinned against God and you wanted to offer a sacrifice to make things right with you and God, you would have to bring it to the temple. You could not, you could not offer it on your own. You had to bring it up. And under the, it was either a priest or a Levite under the authority of the priest, but the priests were the ones in charge. You had to let him take and do that offering for you. You couldn't go to that altar by yourself. He's your, before Christ, he's your mediator between you and God. One of the reasons why I really am not comfortable with being called a priest as a leader, because I am not your mediator between you and God. Jesus Christ is the mediator between you and God. But this guy, this is how important they were in that, in, that, in that era. But you'll notice when he comes to this uh, needy man, he doesn't even, he doesn't even look um, to, to go over and take a look at how he's doing. His mind is already made up. He is not going to get involved. 
Can I ask you, if you are truly born again, how concerned are you about the people around you and their souls? Do you just walk merrily on your way? Never even entertaining the thought, maybe I should do something. Well, let's notice the second guy. I'll call him the self-centered Levite. Now, again, see if you agree with me on this. Look at verse 32. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place. Now, Levites are, are not uh, quite as high up as the priest, but they would serve the priest. They would do things like uh, make sure the wood was there for the sacrifice. They were the guards at the temple, the ones that kept the peace. They were the ones who sang in the choir at the temple. And, and during David's day and Solomon's day, I'm sure as well, and, and, and other eras, they, they would sing 24-7. These are the choir members. These are, the, these are very involved in the worship of God. It's a very sacred responsibility. Now, this guy reacts a little bit differently. Likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. So he actually came over and, and, and looked and checked him out. Uh, by the way, in this painting, okay, here's your... You can see there's the priest walking away back to him. By the way, in both of these paintings, if you notice, the Levite is looking at the needy man. The artist is reflecting that he wasn't just completely unconcerned. You see the, the, the priest with his back toward him, not concerned at all. The Levite at least had some concern. You'll notice he, 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 when he was at the place, he came and looked on him. By the way, that's a good translation. Uh, the, um, um, uh, even the editors of the New English uh, translation, who do not translate it this way, say that, the, that, the, that it, it's indicating he went over and took a look at this guy. He looked on him, and then he passed by on the other side. So we, we notice that he's curious. He, do, he does go over and look at him. Now just imagine with me a little bit. Why does he go over and even look? What's he curious about? What's that? He wants, maybe he wants to know if he's alive or dead. Maybe he looks like one of his relatives. And he's going over there like, well, boy, I hope that isn't Uncle Joe. Oh, whew, not Uncle Joe. Good, good, I'm glad. May, wh why is he going over and looking at him? Just, just curious? Jamie. Maybe he wants to see if his nationality fits or not. We don't really know. We know he's curious. We also know he's considering, he's at, least, he's at least had enough consideration to go over and look. I, maybe, maybe he says this. Maybe he says, ah, it's just, it, it, I can see he's just too far gone. Uh, I don't think I can help him. Ultimately, we do know this, he stays uninvolved. Um, any thoughts as to why he doesn't stop and help him? Just again, we don't. Jesus doesn't say, but just put yourself in the story and live the story for a minute. Why? Why would he? Why would he have gone on? What's that? He probably saw he wasn't a Levite like him. I think he probably moved on. Okay, he's not. He doesn't mean anything to him. He's not a Levite or whatever. He's not a relative. Well, he's, uh, he's a Levite, so he's supposed to be serving a priest, and he looks and sees this guy's not a priest. Okay. Again, it doesn't mean anything, Keith? He could have, been, he could have become ceremonial unclean. Yes. There might have been a problem with him being, like, being unclean if he's dead. Now, again, the guy isn't dead, but if he touches a dead man, that's a big problem. Okay? Andrea? That's what I'm saying. There you're going to say? How about the robbers? Maybe he's thinking, 
If I stay here, maybe I'm going to get robbed. Maybe I better keep moving here. Okay? Maybe he's worried about his own safety. Any other thoughts on it? Maybe he feels like I've got to get somewhere. And I, I'm sorry, this guy's just going to have to die out here. I mean, I mean, think about it. Sometimes we make decisions like this, folks, where we really don't, we really don't care about where the people are at. We really don't, we don't, really don't think it through. That happens in New York City. People just walk by and ignore it. Well, that's exactly right. There was a guy I knew that was in a, in a truck and he was on Route 80. This is a number of years ago, 20, 25 years ago, maybe better. Um, there, he, was, he was hit uh, by a van on purpose. He didn't know that. They, they pull over. Guys jumped out with guns, uh, grabbed him, threw him in the back of his own truck, in, in the trailer of his own truck, and drew, drove off with it, hijacked his truck. He said people were all around him who had cell phones. Nobody bothered to call. Not a single call went into the police. I mean, you just had to pick up your phone. You, don't, you wonder what's going on. Maybe he felt the guy was going to die no matter what he did. You know, it's just a waste of time. It looks like he's almost gone. Maybe he said, I can't, I just, you know, I, it's going to be too much effort. I, I, how am I going to get him to the end? Maybe he doesn't have an animal to put him on. I don't want to run back there and back. Maybe he's worried about it's too much money. We really don't know, do we? But, but basically what we do know is simply this. This man ultimately says, I'll leave him out here to die. I'm moving on. That brings us then to what we call the good, good Samaritan. I'll call him the loving Samaritan because that's what the guy was asking about loving your neighbor as yourself. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed... I'm sorry, verse uh, 20, 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. But now what is the significance of the Samaritan compared to the priest and the Levite? The, the Samaritan is not considered to be a true believer in the, in the true God. That's not always the case. Remember, Jesus went to Samaria. But they're outside of uh, the whole Jewish uh, blessing. They're, they're considered uh, pagans. They were hated more than the normal pagan because they were part Jewish, part Gentile. Going back hundreds of years, there was a hatred that went both ways. And to be quite honest with you, if the Samaritan is laying in the road, not only does the priest definitely go by and the Levite definitely goes by, if they wouldn't help one of their own countrymen, that's the assumption here, but the guy he's helping probably wouldn't have helped him as well. Because by the rabbi's definition that, that had been written down, that, that I, I can look at my commentaries and read, they basically were saying, you, he's not your neighbor. You don't have to worry about him. And the guy puts all that aside, doesn't worry about that, doesn't worry about if he'd have been helped if he was in the same situation. It's not do unto others as others do unto you or would do unto you. You'll notice this guy has compassion. By the way, there's the, there's the priest with his back to him again. We don't, I don't see the Levite in that painting. You'll notice he has compassion. You'll notice, secondly, he actually acts. He's a man who will act. There's action here. Verse 34. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. By the way, those who are medicinal, people almost always carried them when they were traveling. 
So it, it would probably be in that culture, the, the priest, the Levite, would have had the same things on them. Set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him, which means he basically sat up with him and made sure he was okay when he got him there. Doesn't just throw him in a room and leave him alone. He actually is ministering to this guy. You'll see again that, that, that he is a man who uh, responds. And when he encountered the wounded man, he has compassion. He, he is involved in action. You'll also notice he's got foresight because he's got to move on. But he's got him in a safe place, verse 35. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence. Now remember, a pence is not merely a penny. How much is that? Day's wage. Okay, remember we were talking, I made it simpler. If you're making, uh, average in PA is what, 56,000, I think we said last, year, last week? So 59,000. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shorten it to 50,000 if you made, with all your benefits and everything, $50,000. Two days wage. That would be roughly $400. Takes out of his pocket, gives to the innkeeper. You said, take, um, you gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. So I'll give you more than this. If, if, you, if you spend more on this guy, you, I'll give it to you. you. You do what you've got to do to make sure that he's okay. Now we come to Jesus' question. First of all, what's the assumption here? Verse 36, we'll get there in just a moment. So who is, uh, who is my neighbor? What is Jesus really saying by that story? Who's my neighbor? Okay. Since God orchestrates all events in your life, right? If God's in every step you're taking, he knows exactly where you're going, exactly who you're going to encounter, then you have to say that your neighbor is anyone God puts in your path. So the bar is love anybody God puts in your path, how much? As you love yourself. And that's where do unto others as you want others do unto you. Matthew seven twelve, that's where that comes in. So what the Lord is saying, love all those God places in your path as much as you love yourself. That painting, by the way, is not the Good Samaritan. And some of you may recognize it. I've used it just a week or two ago. It's of the rich fool who's banqueting up in his house while his neighbor is, 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 is basically eating the crumbs that fall from that guy's table. And he was an example of a guy who was on his way to hell. No concern. You see the guy carrying the big vat of wine away. No concern. What's going on around? And I will tell you this, folks, as, as Christian people, I think we, we vastly underestimate how much we break this commandment. We vastly underestimate. So we had Jesus' story. Let's notice his question now, verse 36. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Now I want you to think about this for a second. Christ's question showed the lawyer that the neighbor is not the needy person, but the one who should help the other person. You with me? It's not you're trying to focus on, well, which one of these guys do, do I need to help? Which one's my neighbor? He's, what he's saying is, no, that's not the real question. The, the question is not who is my neighbor. 
The question is, am I going to be a neighbor? Will you be a neighbor? That's the question. Which one of the three was a neighbor? That's why I entitled this message, Will You Be a Neighbor? Verse 37. Once you notice this, then he said unto him, then he said, He that showed mercy on him. He doesn't even say the Samaritan. Kind of hard to get those words out sometimes. He had mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, and here's the Lord's command, go and do thou likewise. Everyone you come across, that God leads you across, love them as you would love yourself. Now let me bring you some conclusions quickly. Number one, if you are proud, you listen to critique, not to learn. That's a major mistake. You don't need more critics. You don't need more people with their arms folded and trying to figure out why this, I don't have to listen to this guy. We need people who are listening to try to learn something. When you come to church, don't, don't, have, don't have the spirit and the attitude like, well, uh, as soon as you say something that I don't like or I don't agree with or I, or I think is, is, is offline, then I'm not listening to you anymore. That is foolishness. If you can't learn from people, yes, don't even have as much knowledge as you. That's fine. If you can't learn from people like that, you are way, way too proud. Have you ever learned from a kid? I'll tell you what, you can learn a lot from a child. None of us should be too, too big to learn. That's pride. It's, not, it's foolishness. Number two, knowing the truth and living it are two vastly different things. This guy knew the answer, he thought. Uh, actually, he didn't really know the answer because he didn't realize how high the bar is and that he was never keeping it. Number three, knowing the truth only makes you more responsible to live it. We mentioned that a couple times. Let's move on. Number four, memorizing truth and understanding it are two vastly different things. This guy knew the verse. He knew that, okay, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are two different passages, by the way. They're not in the same passage. He's grabbing two different spots. He's bringing them together. That's all true. The problem is he's not keeping it. He should be looking for a Savior. So he has the truth memorized. He doesn't have it in his heart. He doesn't understand it. This is so common for all of us. Number five, if you know the truth but do not practice it, you are all the more wicked than the ignorant. You're actually worse off than the person that doesn't know. Let me show you why I say this. Luke chapter 12, verse 47 and 48. That servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. That's the person who knew and wouldn't do it. Number, number, but notice the next verse. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. The person that had no knowledge of what he was doing wrong. For... Everyone to whom much is given from him, will, uh, much will be required. And whom much has been uh, committed of him, they will ask the more. It only makes sense that with more knowledge comes more responsibility. Conclusion number six, God may bring you across to others who have great needs. Don't look at it as mere chance. 
I would say, well, you know, just an accident. I mean, it was no big deal. You happen to run across the guy who was dying today? Running across people who are dying, spirit, who are dead spiritually and on their way to hell every day. And how concerned are we? Number seven. God says what he means and means what he says. The bar is not lowered, folks. He's not saying, well, love your neighbor, um, you know, almost as much as you love yourself or love most people. He is saying love them all. All of them. Republicans and Democrats. Heterosexual, homosexual. All of them. Doesn't mean you agree, doesn't mean you call something right that is wrong. But we are to love all people. Those that like us and those that hate us. All of them. Number seven. Oop, uh, I, I gave you that. Can, by the way, can I just say how this impacts? Think about how this impacts your relationship with your parents. How do you love your parents? What you do is, is you treat them as you would want to be treated. Whether they're old or whether they're young. If you're trying to decide on how to handle them as they're old, if you're trying to, how to, how to deal with them when you're young and they're, and, and they're younger, always the principle is do what you would want done to you. Same thing with your spouse. Same thing with your coworkers, your fellow students. Same thing with your siblings, your brothers, your sisters. Same thing with other authorities, policemen, judges, referees. Strangers, needy people, what is best for them? Someone comes up and says, well, can you give me $5? That's not always the best thing to do. I had a guy, I had a guy just, just this, on this last trip to Florida, comes up to me. He's, he's got a um, license plate from Michigan. I don't know what happened to him. He says, I need, I need a gas to get to, uh, to, get to um, this town nearby. I'm about out of gas. Now, look, I'm not buying him. I'm not giving him cash. I'm, I'm putting gas in his tank. I did that. I, I'm going to help him on that. I, I, I gave him a, a gospel track. If you're, if you're trying to figure out how to deal with an unsaved person, how would you want to be approached? How would you want to hear? That's how you do it. Let God lead you on that. How would you do unto others as you would have them do to you? Let me give you a quick application. I'll give you a... Uh, again, acrostic, I, I, I got into it a little bit, so okay. Acquaint yourself with the problems of a person that God has placed in your path. Go over and look. Number two, care enough to get involved. Number three, take action based upon what you would want others to do for you if you were in his or her place. Bottom line is simply this. If you love, you'll get involved. Here's Proverbs 29 and verse 7. And I'll close with it. The righteous considers the cause of the poor. The wicked does not regard to know it. Matter of fact, how, how the idea behind it is the wicked doesn't even understand why you'd worry about it. The righteous is thinking. He's thinking. And don't just think poor physically. Think, think poor mentally, socially. Think poor spiritually. Are you thinking? 
Am I thinking about people around us who have needs? That's what we're talking about. Or are we just kind of blowing by? Well, it's just a chance encounter. It doesn't really make any difference. God knows better, and we do too. To love is to be involved. Whether you're in the praying stage or being led to actually physically act, you cannot love a person and merely walk away from their need in unconcern, no matter how spiritual other people may think you are. All right, it's great to be with evangelist Mike Pelletier, and Mike's going to be with us at uh, Calkins Baptist um, from October the 18th through the 25th, and uh, 7 o'clock each evening, all except for Saturday. And uh, so we look forward to having him. But, um, Mike, we've, I've known you for many years now, but um, just tell the audience a little bit about how, how uh, the Lord worked in your heart for salvation. Well, uh, thank you for having me on this uh, broadcast, and I'm really looking forward, Brother Lane, to the revival meeting that we're having in your church. I believe there's still a good possibility of revival in America, and definitely for us as individuals, and people need to know that God loves them, wants to save them. I just uh, was talking to somebody yesterday, and I asked him, uh, why did Jesus die? And uh, he didn't know, and I said, to save us from our sins. And then he told me he was going through a personal family trial, and he just teared up, and he got some help from uh, from, from the Lord. And so that's what this meeting's about, yeah. meeting people where they're at and bringing them to Jesus, to the answer. And uh, I guess in answer to your question, um, when I was young, I... Uh, was sitting underneath a tree in my backyard, and I must have heard a sermon uh, probably not that long before that, and I began to wonder, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? And there was no one talking to me, but I was thinking about that, and I concluded, even as a little boy, I was going to hell probably because I, I knew I had sinned. And I think we all do if we're honest about that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, I went to someone uh, who could help me and asked, how do I go to heaven when I die? And they took the Bible, opened it, and showed me verses of Scripture. And uh, I understood. And I prayed. I asked God to forgive me of my sins. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And uh, the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I did that. Amen. And so that's when I uh, was saved from my sins. Amen. I was a young boy. Amen. That's great. Now, um, you also uh, had uh, quite a tragedy happen to you when you were, when you were quite young. Uh, yes. Um, it was picture day. It, it, it molded my life, actually. It was picture day at Limestone Grade School. And I was in the restroom combing my bristles. I had a crew cut and big ears. I was a cute little kid. <laughs> and I, I heard the loudest noise I ever heard in my life. I look in the kitchen and I saw pots and pans all over the floor. And I thought that was a loud noise. But my mom, um, who had dropped the pans, uh, looked at me with just terror in her eyes and she started running toward me ran past me to my parents bedroom and she was screaming my dad's name out and she kept saying his name and tried to open the door and it was locked and she's still running around panicking calling my dad's name and uh 
And next thing, she got a key and she opened the door and all five of us kids huddled around mom when she opened the door. We found out what that was, that loud noise. My dad was lying on the ground and he had a 12-gauge shotgun just next to his head. Uh, just a few minutes earlier, he put it in his mouth and pulled the trigger. He had taken his life. And so that was a very, very uh, monumental moment. Uh, affected us quite a bit. And how old were you at the time? Um, I was six years old. Wow. And, um, you know, the, the thing about uh, the response to those kinds of tragedies makes all the difference in the future. And so my mom, uh, she she grieved, we all grieved, but my mom said, uh, as she sat us down, she said, kids, this is not the time to get bitter at God. This is the time that, that we need God. Wow. And so she, she pointed us in the right direction and she she lived it. And uh, yeah, there, there were times that were very difficult, but we turned to the Lord and we did just fine. Now, how many are in your family Five kids. Wow. Now, my family, my wife and I, and three kids. Now, two others added to it, a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and wow. a third one. And I'm a grandpa, and she really loves her grandpa. She's only like th- two, two, three months old, but I know she really loves her grandpa. She that. met me three times. She's in <laughs> love with me. <laughs> yeah. Now, now... Okay, so you're six years old. Where were you at in the family? How, what number are you? I'm number four out of uh, five. Okay. Yeah. And so the oldest, when dad took his life, was 10 years old, and the youngest was mom. Um, the youngest was one, and, and mom had uh, five kids between 10 and one that she raised on her own without a husband. And... Um, there might be somebody out there listening that has a lot of pain in their lives, and um, I—it's I, not a sales pitch; it's real. Yeah. If you you have dark problems in your life, there's something about Christ that'll brighten it. Mm. And so you you're going to have to go somewhere to get help. People a lot of times go to to something that doesn't help. They go to. Uh, to 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 a lot of vices, okay, mm-hmm, right. and that's enough said. Uh, the answer is Jesus Christ. There's something in Christ that'll brighten it. Amen. Now, Christ Christ is concerned about giving everyone eternal life. Uh, he gave us the Bible. The whole purpose of giving us the Bible is He said these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. So God definitely wants us in heaven. Christ wants us in heaven. But he's not just concerned about the life of eternity, but our life on earth. Right. And he says, um, I am come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And he said, these things have I written unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And um, problems. My father took his life. Yes. Big problem. Real problem. But we have found what we need to get through those things, it's and 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 we we're doing fine. That's we are amazing. doing great, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, now you had a pastor who was really involved with the family right after this tragedy. Uh, I remember you saying that he took you in his office, all of you kids, right? 
and sat you down, those you could, you could understand. The Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. And uh, John Marvin is due honor. Oh. He was my pastor. And by the way, he lived in Chickshinny, Pennsylvania. Really? And if there's <laughs> anybody that is about 84 years old right now, you probably remember John Marvin in Chickshinny, Pennsylvania, because he played basketball. And just a lot of people know John Marvin from Chickshinny anyway, in that age group. But give honor to whom honor is due. John Marvin went to heaven a few years back. And Betty Marvin, as a matter of fact, his wife went to be with Jesus last week. Wow. And what a giant jewel, a great, great Christian. Well, anyway, yes, my pastor. Um, I remember going to Pastor Marvin when I was hurting. I was even just six years old. And I remember going to him and tugging on his coat. And he'd be talking to somebody after church. And he'd look down and see me. And I'd have big tears in my eyes. I miss my dad. I miss Mm. my dad. And he'd say, I know what you need, buddy. Uh, you go to the office and wait for me. And so then I would go to the office and I'd sit there missing my dad. Then Pastor Marvin would walk in with a big 10-gallon Bible and he sat right down next to me. He didn't sit across the desk. He just wanted to show me he cared about me. And that meant a lot. He sat right next to me and he opened his Bible to Psalm 68 that says, God is the father to the fatherless and the protector of the widow. Wow. And then he said to me, Mike, there are lots of there, there are lots of children in the world and God loves every child in the world, but he has a special place in his heart for you because you don't have a dad. Wow. And uh he said he's the father to the fatherless. Now he'll be your dad. He'll be your father. And he has a special place in his heart for you. So you pray to the father of the fatherless. And and that really helped me. And I saw God was father to the fatherless in a special way. I really believe he is what he says he is. In, Could you give me a couple of those examples? Well, um, in application of my life and experience, I remember growing up and I didn't really know uh, sometimes what to do. And I would pray, father to the fatherless. I don't know what to do. And I'd say, I need wisdom and I don't have a dad to ask what I should do. And I just pray, Father, what should I do? And and he just seemed to always give me wisdom and direction, just a prompting mm-hmm. kind of an idea. Ah, that's it. And, and, he, and he gave guidance. And then when I went to college, um, I didn't have anyone to help. My mom was living on Social Security. I'm not poor mouthing, but... My mom was great, and she made us brownies and cookies, so we were fine. <laughs> but anyway, we um, didn't have a lot of money going to college, and I remember praying, Father to the fatherless, I need money for college, and I don't have a dad who can pay for it, and what do I do? And Help me, Lord. And, you know, uh, just different ways that I really believe God answered that prayer mm. in a special way because I didn't have a dad. Like, um, I bailed hay for a farmer one time. He gave me two thousand dollars. Wow, pretty pretty good paycheck, and <laughs> and that showed me God knew my name. Mm. Uh, later on, I needed some more money for Bible college, and I prayed about it. Uh, Father to the fatherless, I, I need more money for college. What do I do? And I uh, met a surgeon, Doctor Doctor David Lang. 
He's still alive, Kankakee, Illinois. He's still being a surgeon, still being a great blessing to a lot of people. And he took an interest in me and he gave me over $8,000 before it was done for my school bill. And when I graduated, I still owed some money. And it's not just about money, but it's exciting to know that God knows my name. Uh, I prayed about it. Lord, I can't get into ministry with all this debt. And somebody wrote a check and paid for the rest of my school debt. Wow. And I, it's just, I believe that God divinely intervenes, uh, showed himself to be the father to the fatherless to me. And I know that when you hear about Jesus, you'll want him. You'll want him. Amen. And Christ is eternal life. That's right. Amen. Well, thank you for your time, Mike. Thank you. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who could help you, you can email us at help at com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at calkinsbaptistchurch.com. I began this study of the messages of Christ in our church about two years ago. So if you would like to see the original video sermons of this ongoing series, you can find them on our Facebook page at Calkins Baptist Church. Under the video tab, there's a separate playlist for the Messages of Christ series. If you know someone who is shut in or otherwise uh, unable to attend church in person, we also live stream our service weekly. It's obviously not as good as being there yourself, but it is a little bit better than just viewing um, a recording. And so um, you're welcome to tune in. Our service starts just about the time you're listening now, approximately 10 a.m. live on our Facebook page. And we're also be just beginning to put some videos of our services on YouTube for those that do not um, have Facebook or don't like that format. And so uh, we don't have a lot of, of messages there yet, but we do have some. So if you'd like to view a message, you can search for Calkins Baptist Church on YouTube, and you should be able to find the beginning of our presence there. If you live anywhere near close to us, uh, we'd love to invite you to come and visit us for a service If you have no idea where Calkins is, our church is located about 10 minutes from Beach Lake, Pennsylvania, about 20 minutes from Honesdale, Pennsylvania, about 10 minutes from Narrowsburg, New York. And um, our physical address is 527 Calkins Road, Milanville, Pennsylvania. Especially hope you can come this week, if at all possible, 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, to hear evangelist Mike Pelletier. Mike's been a personal friend of mine for about 20 years now, and I can tell you that he cares about people and would love to try to be a blessing to you in the name of Jesus. If any of you would like to share this radio message with a friend, you can find a link to our podcast on our Facebook page. Just look for the Radio Bold icon on our feed. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.